You're listening to Once, episode 196, Lily. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. I'm Aaron. Thank you very much for joining us, all of you tour wheels out there. <laughs> we have watched and rewatched this episode, Lily, and I'm being excited about the season finale. I mean, we've got the season finale party coming up. Yes, yes. And we've got the season finale, of course, coming up. That's the important part of it. Well, an important part of it. The other important part is you. (laughs) And we've got some great (laughs) feedback from you to talk about with this episode. So let's jump into it. It starts out with this scene that is the only Enchanted Forest scene that we get to see in this episode. And it wasn't so much the forest as it was an underground cavern. True. Which technically could have been in Brooklyn. True. Or Minnesota. (laughs) But we finally get to meet the sorcerer. We met something representing the sorcerer. I don't know that he was actually occupying that physical space. It felt like a a magical communication portal. Now, I see in the credits for this episode that Jonathan Adams is marked as disembodied voice. Aha. <laughs> I think I'm going to guess that's who played the voice for the sorcerer. Spoke the voice. Yeah. Now, was this the same cavern, for lack of a better term, that we saw the apprentice in before? Yes. Interesting. I thought the walls looked bamboozled, but when I looked at the <laughs> two that were visible in the same shot, they had the exact same pattern, which at first confused me because I thought maybe it was more decorative than damage. But I think maybe it was just repeated damage. Probably. A la from- Windows 95. <laughs> it's probably from all of the... Uh, previous dark ones who have come and tried to steal the hat and they're being yes. thrown around kind of ruin the walls a little bit <laughs> yes <laughs> from this scene one of the things we learn is that emma and lily's fates were always and will always be entwined yeah so the meddling was simply taking emma's potential for darkness and putting it on lily right and presumably Lily being cast into this world separately from everybody else. It almost makes me wonder if from the beginning, Lily was supposed to be this, quote, anti-savior, unquote. Huh, that's an interesting concept. It's a common one in the comic book world where whenever there's a hero, there has to be an anti-hero. Yeah, and they, I mean, they set up that theme just with the visual of the sorcerer i saw it again this time the way sort of the red and the blue were sort of swirling it just had a very yin and yang kind of it wasn't pronounced but i felt like it was referencing that i think though like whenever i've kind of heard that concept it's always been that the darkness or whatever has to be equal to the light to keep the kind of cosmic world in balance or whatever. So if Emma became totally good and Lily became totally dark, that wouldn't, oh, I guess actually that would, that would be the only way to keep the balance. (laughs) So I guess what's going to happen if, I don't know. I don't, I don't, 
I don't really like this part of the storyline with the whole apprentice because (laughs) it's not really consistent. Like he's saying not to meddle with fate, but it's not fate because he's meddling with it. So, Well, and they said that the author must never be allowed to toy with fate again. But yet, yes, so who does? The author (laughs) hasn't actually messed up how they were supposed to be entwined because they still ended up being entwined, Mm -hmm. even though the author changed the stories. Have we previously gotten the impression, or did you from this scene, that the sorcerer and the apprentice are responsible for the choosing of the author? Yes. Yeah, I got that impression. It was notable to me that he said of putting the author in the book, our mistake has been rectified. Right, because August did say that the sorcerer and the apprentice choose the authors. Well, there you go. Yeah, so they chose the (laughs) wrong guy in this case. For some reason, I had started to think that it was something where the current author chose the next. Something Isaac said made me think that, but uh, apparently not. When the sorcerer said that The author must no longer be allowed to alter fate again. It made me wonder, how is that going to play out in the coming episodes where Mm -hmm. we're going to see, most likely, the direction the story is going. I don't know spoilers, but just the direction of the story is that Isaac is going to try to change someone's fate. Sure. And does Mm -hmm. that mean the sorcerer is going to finally appear in Storybrooke? Or will the apprentice somehow come out of the hat and he'll be there to try and stop the author or... Is a wolf going to show up and distract the author? (laughs) What's going to (laughs) happen? Maybe Will can get the white rabbit to come and pull the author out of the hat because that would be a really great juxtaposition to have a rabbit pulling a man out of a hat. (laughs) (laughs) It could be the white rabbit from Wonderland. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Why then, if the Sorcerer and the Apprentice are appointing authors, does the current author have to die for that mantle to be passed because why not just appoint another author rather than trap this one in the book where he apparently can still record but can't meddle right i think they discovered that was their mistake was letting the author be out and about where he could meddle but if he's in the book he can only just record what's happening Hmm. well that sounds like a bad fate to be the author (laughs) if you're going to just get stuck in the book every time True. However, something Isaac said in the last episode made me feel like he had already written the end of this story with Emma. Didn't he say something like, that's not how her story ends or something like that? He said, I didn't know the ending. Oh, okay. Mm. Sorry. I know that some people have said that since the sorcerer is represented by this blue smoke, maybe he could be either the or connected to the genie from Aladdin. Well, it was blue and red alternatingly. So unless the sorcerer is somehow like the genie and Jafar, <laughs> and we've, uh, some of us have already seen Jafar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, the thought occurred to me as well, maybe because of the voice a little bit, but I think it's more of a, I, I'm going to go out on a limb. I think the sorcerer can appear through various means like this cauldron i don't think that was the sorcerer i don't think that's his only form yeah and i think i would agree with that because he does seem to be the most powerful person if not even the dark one can break his power and genies aren't even permanently genies let alone that powerful so i don't (laughs) think we have to worry about him being directly related to geniehood and 
kind of referring to Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Some people have been theorizing that maybe Nyx from Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, the creepy zombie-like girl from the well, might be the sorcerer. She didn't have, despite despite her tendency to go underwater, she didn't have a lot of depth. (laughs) (laughs) But she was just creepy. The red and blue are definitely nice nods to the Disney Fantasia movie where we see the sorcerer, Yen Sid, working with all this magic that's in red and blue and there's like a butterfly and other stuff Hmm. and yellow eyes. To me, the red and blue is also symbolic of um, like Emma has often been using blue or white or kind of yellowy bright magic and Regina often uses red magic. And so I wonder if that's just the um, good versus evil and Hmm. that they're trying to show that the sorcerer is neutral because if he wants if he wants fate, hmm. fate has to be neutral. It can't be good or evil. Yeah, could be. Speaking of hmm. good or evil, camping, hmm. <laughs> preparing for it. I think camping is evil, but so do <laughs> the family in Minnesota uh, is going on this camping trip. And Emma is about 16 years old right now. It seems like she was born in 1983. October 22nd, 1983 is the date that we've pinned for that. Go to oncepodcast.com slash timeline to see the full timeline of how we think things fit together. And this is 1999. So she's probably 16 years old. And Lily would then be probably 17 years old. That makes sense. Yeah. And Gorp is now another <laughs> official Once Upon a Time party food. <laughs> I noticed this time, I thought, why does Lily's hat have that strange window showing her hair through the top? Well, it was the ski mask. Right, which was the only way we were able to recognize her on the TV later on. Yeah, well. Hey, there's someone robbing the TV. You robbed a store because someone's robbing and you're right here. Yeah, I didn't notice the ski mask the first time and they didn't put it in color on the TV because it was security camera. I think color would have been a nice touch. Some security cameras are in color. Maybe not back but then. were they in 1999? Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but it was very... The only way I knew that was Lily on the TV was because they stopped and stared at it so hard. And I was like, yeah, I guess those are probably her eyes, probably. But somehow she just launched into you, I can explain. But anyway. <laughs> so if this is 1999, can someone remind me when Emma was with Ingrid? This would probably be just after the Ingrid thing. Because everything that happened with Ingrid was in 1999. That was in the episode Shattered Sight. Hopkins, Minnesota, when Emma and Lily actually met, was in 1998. And we learned that from the episode Breaking Glass. So this would be probably near the end of 1999, near Emma's 16th birthday. So I'm taking a little bit of issue with the events of Tallahassee and how close they are to this. And I get that they have to choose a time when they replace the young version of the actress with the older version of the actress but this is like maybe a year before Tallahassee because she's 17 That's true. and then there was all this like they were saying that she was like 12 or 13 when she was with the snow queen like when her and hook were talking and that's just some continuity stuff that annoys mm. me but I would chalk that one up to a bad memory of when <laughs> couldn't remember exactly what time she was with Ingrid. Yeah, I guess so. 
<laughs> I feel like they're a little more careful than that. <laughs> when they're having dinner with the family, did you notice the lost reference? They were all eating Mr. Oh. Cluck's chicken. Oh. Yes. I'm not a real lost person, so I guess I couldn't notice that. Ugh. That's I'm, good, though. I get it now. <laughs> I really wonder, why is Lily so ashamed or private about this birthmark? It was it was funny because she tried to act like she was, she could have let it pass, but she just was like, oh, I'm well adjusted. And then she hit it really, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Subconsciously. Yeah. Like everybody already saw it, dear. You just showed it to the entire table. I don't know why you're covering it now, but uh, I don't know. Why, why would she be that? They could have just probably not even done that. I don't see any reason for her to be self-conscious about it. I wonder if there's a scene where that was deleted, maybe where that was a distinguishing mark in the when they were looking for the robbers. See, sadly, I was wondering about deleted scenes as well. And maybe (laughs) they had made a bigger deal out of perhaps the emblem on her hat when they met in the garage, which would make the security tape and the recognition make more sense. Right. Right. The store that Lily robbed was Pawtucket Mini Mart and Deli. Oh, I love that place. On 1437 Belkin Avenue. And guess what? What? Later on, Starla, or Lily, is working at the coffee mug right next to a Pawtucket Mini Mart and Deli. (laughs) It makes me wonder, is it the exact same one she originally... Well, it wouldn't be because that was Minnesota and they're near Boston now. So, yeah, it wouldn't be the same one. But it's, a big change. it's the same she just, chain. She gravitates. It's her fate. Pawtucket <laughs> Mini Mart is her fate. She has to be forever a customer there to make up for all the things she stole. She works five minutes a day extra without being paid, even though she's not supposed to. I loved uh, Emma's dialogue with her about, you know, she was so accusatory of Lily for lying. And then Lily was like, like, you want me to tell them that you were shoplifting Pop-Tarts and I was giving you tips? <laughs> I think they did a really good job casting both of these young versions. Well, I guess they cast the young version first for Lily, but um, they have really good like on-screen chemistry. Oh, yeah. And then their, their fight in the garage. What a way of having some quick thinking on Lily's part. Quick thinking is a nice word for it. Um, master slash pathological liar would also be <laughs> words that could be used to describe her, along with scary yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was crying and the necklace seemed so very important to her. Well, and as Jacqueline pointed out, how does Lily even have a necklace in the first place? Later on, the apprentice said that it basically wasn't a necklace, but it was from Maleficent. So it may have been something, maybe part of the egg that Lily was in, maybe a dragon talon or toenail clipping or something That's like that. That's disgusting. Of Maleficent. <laughs> Although I do have a necklace that is one of my mother's toenail clippings. So I don't think it was like she had this necklace. That's gross too, <laughs> by the way. Thanks. Thanks for acknowledging. But I think that this was something she just had on her that at some point got turned into a necklace. Sure. Do you think yeah. we'll see that? I hope we do because... It was sort of awkwardly pointed out that it's not stone, conspicuously more than awkwardly. 
when Emma was breaking into the boyfriend's place, I tried looking for any kind of parallels between the decor in that place and the decor later in, quote, Starla's, unquote, trailer. And I couldn't really find anything other than an enjoyment of hanging things on the wall. Emma was not very stealthy. She was okay breaking into the boyfriend's house, but when she came back and got caught by her parents, it's like, no wonder you got caught. You're like whisper yelling in the middle of the night. Lily! Yeah, she's a little bit more stealthy now with her sneakiness. I think that her foster parents, though, did have some total justification in how they were saying, how could you do this? You let this thief, this armed robber, this liar into our home, you were lying. Think about how you were affecting our family. I think they were totally justified. I think they maybe made some language mistakes, as Emma very clearly pointed out right away, because as as a foster child, as somebody who's grown up in that world, she would be very sensitive to that type of language. But as I pointed out uh, when she was talking with Lily at the bus stop in my notes, like she didn't get kicked out. She left. She left by her own choice because they offended her. They didn't kick her out. And I think that if she had stayed and explained everything not in the heat of the moment, I think that she would have been able to stay there. Yeah. And here's the thing about Emma's running away here and possibly in the past. The girls on foot, they didn't take a step to go out the door after her. They didn't call the police. They didn't do anything. She doesn't end up back in the system. She just gets to do whatever she wants. That makes no sense. She may have ended up back in the system. I do wonder if these events are what then led her to go on a bus or train or plane or automobile or something and end Mm. up then in Portland. So is that what happens right after this? Not like immediately after, but about a year, two-ish, one-ish or two-ish years after this that she ends up in Portland And then steals the yellow bug, meets Neil, and all of that happens. Like her age could also be a pointer to that. Like we know that when she ran away from Ingrid as Sarah, was she Sarah Fisher in the past reality? We know that she ran away from that situation too. She obviously ended ended up back in the system as now she is in the system in this episode. But um, I don't know about... The states, I know that it's probably different in every state, but here, kind of once you're 16, if you're not actively in the system, then they're not going to put you in the system. So if she, you know, ran to a different state and was over the age of 16, then they're not going to put her back in the system. She's going to be on her own. That would make sense. And it also makes sense then when Lily refers to being kicked out. If she's 17 years old, then how can her parents really kick her out but maybe you know certain state laws and such someone could be living on their own legally at 17 years old for sure can they just start stating their ages at some point in the episode (laughs) they state a lot of other things that don't need to be said and i don't want to have to wonder about their ages anymore somebody please just state their ages thank you Like at the beginning, just have all the guests say, hi, my name is blank. I will be playing Emma Swan at the age of 16 in tonight's Lo- episode of What's The location Upon a on the timeline is at exactly this date. And now, hi, I'll be playing Starla, who is Lily. Um, you'll get that reveal somewhere in the middle of the episode. That's Once Upon a Time, the reality TV series. <laughs> 
Oh, I hope that sometime before the show is over, there's one episode shot like a reality show. Just one. <laughs> Maybe well, when the news crews move into Storybrooke. Well, one of the things, though, that Lily keeps running into is this wall of darkness. Maybe try making better choices. I do. I swear. But every time I try, it just blows up in my face. It's like I'm cursed or something. That's stupid. It's true. It's like my whole life is darkness, and when you're around, things are brighter. So she seems like she's trying to do the right thing, but is almost like she's designed to not be able to do the right thing. Which is dumb, because it's a potential for darkness, not darkness. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess if somehow her potential for darkness in this sort of odd, not reality that's been set up outweighs her potential for light. Plus, I guess we're supposed to maybe make Snow's bad assumption that the child of an evil person is going to be evil, even if not raised by that person. Right. I don't know. And Lily doesn't seem particularly evil, but I don't think that we're uh, entirely clear on what potential means as a word. Yes. So funny you should say that, Jeremy. I happened to have potential pulled up in the dictionary (laughs) prior to beginning this podcast. And it means having or showing the capacity to become or develop into something in the future. So it's the capacity for darkness, which means if they removed all potential for darkness from Emma, there should not be a question right now about whether she could turn dark. Oh, I know, I know. Not to mention she was chased in the first episode of this part of the season for supposedly having the greatest potential for darkness still in her. Right. That comment that Lily did make when you're around things are brighter makes sense with how they're pitching the story other than the misuse of the word potential. Um, (laughs) Because, like, basically they took a part of Lily and put it in Emma. So they will be intertwined because it's almost like those two parts know that they belong together. And so I wonder if they'll somehow, like, swap them back and make them both just their own person that can make their own bad or good choices. However, it it does seem like uh, they are making choices, not being forced by fate. Mm. That's also a theory that came to me during the bus stop scene. It seems that whatever happens with Emma, she'll at least get whatever was transferred to Lily back. She'll probably want to. Just to give Lily her best chance. Yeah. And it could be that instead of just balancing each or balancing the darkness out, sort of, that they kind of cancel each other out. Emma cancels out Lily's potential for darkness or her complete darkness. But at the same time, maybe Lily will cancel out Emma's status as the savior, which could make things difficult for Rumple in trying to get the author to rewrite the happy endings that Emma brought. I wonder if it's almost like the potential for darkness that belongs to Emma is what surfaces in Lily when they're around because Lily made it sound like things were hunky dory until 
Emma came around yeah. and then stuff started to go bad. But that wouldn't make sense if she's always had this potential unless it's like, like I was saying, like that they need, they're drawn that those two parts that belong together are drawn to each other. So it's almost like drawing the darkness out of her when she's around Emma because the light in Emma is trying to be balanced with the darkness yeah. that really belongs to her. Well, Lily was already pretty good at stealing when no, they met. We don't know that for sure. Well, then why did she have tips? Back in the episode Breaking Glass, when we saw them steal things together, I remember our theorizing that maybe Lily had gone into the store with her dad waiting in the car, and her dad said, here's my credit card, here's what we need, go buy it, I'll be waiting here for you. And Lily saw Emma and thought, hey, here's my chance to escape. Because of the whole circumstance of her dad being right there in the car driving. And then <sighs> Lily knew basically that her dad was going to be there. So it's making me think that Lily made that decision then. Maybe that is the moment when her darkness really started. Hmm. That's possible. Although she was saying other things to Emma when they were hanging out about how much she didn't like being with the family and how horribly she felt like she was treated and, you know, going all teen girl emotional. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. teen girls. Did they braid each other's hair? Fits. No. I Almost. think that was next on the agenda before they got <laughs> discovered. Record selfie on video camera. Check. Braid each other's hair. Oh, Dad, <laughs> we're going to do that next. Invent word selfie. <laughs> When Lily then gets on the bus, the sorcerer's apprentice just appears there next to her. <laughs> she wasn't terribly surprised by that. So maybe he walked onto the bus. She was just yeah. kind of zoned out and we never saw him sit down. We did see at one moment the chair was empty. The next no moment while the bus oh. is moving, the next moment he's there, which makes perfect sense with how powerful he is just being the apprentice. But she seemed, yeah, just zoned out thinking about that necklace. And he mentioned that the necklace complements her birthmark, which is a star. The necklace is a moon. So what else goes in this typical combination? A sun. Yeah. Mm. Where's the sun? Emma. Maybe. Maybe the sun is Maleficent. No, that's swan, not sun. <laughs> I don't think Maleficent is the sun. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put that out there. Yeah, Maleficent is probably represented more by the moon because that moon belonged to Maleficent. It wasn't necessarily a necklace. And it wasn't a stone, that's for sure. That's can it what, do things? Maybe it can. Is it magical? Maybe it is. Mm. I bet you it is. It makes thunder and lightning when she hits people <laughs> this whole thing about her being now like all of this total darkness and how she can't control it and how it just seems like everything goes wrong for her reminds me of a character in another tv show doomsday from the tv show smallville i'm sorry i'm going to spoil a season of this for you a but season I have to so, you know, skip ahead, what, 30 seconds? Doomsday is this character in one of the seasons of Smallville that starts out as just a normal person that, while they're sleeping, apparently goes and kills people as a monster. But throughout <laughs> this, do. he starts having this internal conflict with, I'm Doomsday, and 
trying to fight that, but also embracing it or hiding the fact that he was this horrible monster that was supposed to, that was designed to destroy humanity and all of this stuff. And at some point, just like resolving to accept it. And then the storyline was wrapped up very quickly. But that seems very similar here with (laughs) Lily that sounds riveting. (laughs) She seems like she wants to fight this, but then by the time we see her as Starla later, she has resolved to fully embrace the darkness and not to fight it out of her, but just to take that revenge or do the do the nasty thing she has planned. But isn't it slightly hilarious that her targets on her wall are Snow White and Prince Charming ripped out of a storybook? <laughs> I mean, like she legit has a hit plan on storybook characters. Anyone else. I mean, all you would have to do is take someone with the power into her home and she would be committed rather quickly. (laughs) No, guys, she got the pictures from her storybook and she plans to kill them. Well, what else was she supposed to do? Where else are you going to find pictures of them? (laughs) It was an amazing visual. Would have been better if they were from Henry's storybook. Do you think she took that picture of Emma from the desk when she was getting the vacation money as well? Yeah, I was wondering about that. This whole thing, though, with uh, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, to me, he's messing with fate just as badly as the author is. Yeah. Like, he's saying, yep, so here's the story. Here's why everything bad's happening to you. And, like, yeah, he's just he's admitting that he's messing with fate by saying, I shouldn't be telling you this, but. Why is it that he seemed so competent every other time we've seen him until this episode and suddenly he seems a bit bumbling? The guilt of being tricked by the author? Hmm. Tricked by, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and it reminds me a little bit of various sci-fi uh, plots that have involved one or more people Chasing someone down via time travel, trying to undo the things that they've done and the damage that they've caused, and it never seems to work. It always has more unintended side effects and consequences. Yeah. Jacqueline also raised the question, why didn't the apprentice go to Emma, too? Yeah. That apprentice. And also, this kind of also reminds me of the whole prophecy thing where if you know the prophecy it doesn't happen the same way the pesky details so i wonder (laughs) if because because it's anytime somebody has known something in the future it has caused them to take action that they otherwise would not have taken which thus messes with faith fate which then changes fate so it's just maybe that's his plan but it's almost like telling lily all of that is orchestrating what is happening now, which is thus not fate because it was orchestrated by her knowledge of it. My head is spinning faster than the <laughs> animation for the sorcerer. The Golden Key pointed out that the apprentice did go to Emma, but maybe indirectly by way of August. And the Dark Curse had pretty much guaranteed Emma's fate as the savior. But seeing as August had lost his way, that's where the apprentice had to intervene with a course correction by then approaching Lily. But if it's a course correction, it's not fate. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I'm just saying. (laughs) 
Well, hmm. So Emma was on course for her fate anyway, but Lily maybe wasn't. So maybe that would be a reason to talk to Lily exclusively. You don't want to alter too much. I think he's more trying to right the wrong well, exactly. of the author. And that's also what uh, Bell of the Ball said in our forums. Do you know what I just thought of? There's a scene in The Lion King number two uh, <laughs> where Simba has a daughter named Kiara and then... Spoilers! <laughs> Scar had a son named something. <laughs> and anyway, there's this scene where the, the two herds are about to fight and then Kiara and... Fazu or something like that? The son jump in and Kiara basically says, look at them. They're not that different than us. And it's kind of like the reconciliation of all of the evil things that Scar set up. And it's like the kids jumping in to be like, because they've become friends and they know that there's good and kind of darkness in both. And the actions that they're about to take won't make, won't make, you know, Simba's uh, herd heroic and won't make the other heard evil because they're just warring and i wonder if we're gonna get to see like something like that between emma and lily <laughs> kind of being like they're just people we're just people we've made different choices let's all hold hands and yeah get over it yeah once once upon a time finally has its last season i'm gonna go and watch about five different old movies that actually just have heroes and villains black and white <laughs> just uh just to have my own little bit of balance. Or you could watch the new fairy tale movies coming out from Disney, which one of them, by the way, mm -hmm. Beauty and the Beast. Disney is doing a new Beauty and the Beast. It won't be out until, I think, 2017, the same year as the Lego movie, too. What? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, there's some other really cool movies coming out uh, that I think one series will really be excited about. And Beauty and the Beast is just one of them. I have no details about it. I oh, just know. I have e one. Even the... Oh. What's the one you have? Hermione from Harry Potter is cast as Belle. Perfect. I think she'll fit that role perfectly. Mm. AKA Emma Watson. Sorry, I couldn't think of her name for a moment. <laughs> Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of perfect, I want to tell you about some perfect people who have helped make this <laughs> podcast possible with their kind donations. Thanks to David Newland, Steve Johnson, Lisa Slack, Tracy Anderson, Daniel Clark, Jessica Olson, Amy Cadillier, and our 15 backers on Patreon. Thank you very much for your kind donations to this episode of One's Podcast. We really could not do this without you because it does cost to run the podcast. In fact, there's something new recently that I had to start paying for that I previously had this multiple years of free service, but had to start paying for. That's our live audio streaming capabilities mm. with Mixler needed to start paying for that, but you make it easy because you're donating to help keep this podcast running and keep it accessible to everyone. So thank you very much for supporting us. David, Steve, Lisa, Tracy, Daniel, Jessica, Amy, and our 15 backers on Patreon. We could not do this without you. If you'd like to be one of these sponsors and be like a co-producer with us of the episode and be one of these perfect people who donate <laughs> to the podcast, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash sponsor. To make a one-time donation, automatic monthly donation, or a per-episode donation, that's all at oncepodcast.com slash sponsor. Moving on then to the present, we've got a few storylines going on at the same time, but it starts out with this kind of sad moment of burying Cruella. 
And <laughs> there's this odd relationship still between Isaac and Cruella. But understandable, because I think Cruella was probably his first and only love. <sighs> yeah. Or at least infatuation. Gonna say, I mean, they had they had an interesting evening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure she turned on him the same day within eight hours. So I don't know if we can call that quite a love, but there, you know, it looked like it was going to be kind of a nice thing. They made one of those statements that they keep doing. They keep calling Emma the savior, which has been used very heavily this year. So they keep saying things like the savior has taken a first step down a dark path, and it, mm, I'm getting a little... I'd like them to just use the names. I'm not sure what they're <laughs> trying to do with that precisely. I don't think savior is even a common term in storytelling. No. So I'm not sure why they're using that so heavily. Well, it's kind of like for a while they called Regina the evil queen. Eh. Well, an evil queen is something that exists in fairy tales. And Emma started to embrace the savior title in season three. And so that's true. They're just using it because of that. Yeah, she did use that term a lot in, in Neverland. I'm going to mostly refer to you as the podcaster from now on. <laughs> and what, what am I? The You're the Canadian. <laughs> the Canadian, of course. The friendly Canadian. <laughs> a token friendly Canadian. Whoa. <laughs> I'm just a token. <laughs> I want to know why somebody had to die at by the Savior's hand. In order to start Emma down that dark path. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess. But why did someone have to die? It wasn't as if she murdered her. Like, that, that was discussed later. But maybe it's to play that mind game of, like, well, you killed somebody. Like, yeah, somebody who was going to kill her son. Right. And as Regina pointed out later, finally, kind of by the end, they acknowledged Cruella was an accident. It was more what she was contemplating doing to Lily that was going to be the line that she shouldn't cross. So when Gold said in the car with Isaac, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. But when Gold said that uh, this trip to New York is going to be you know, kind of that thing that pushes her over the edge of darkness, um, that she's going to return even darker. It makes me wonder whether that actually happened or whether it didn't. I think it didn't. I think it didn't too, but maybe that's what he was thinking of all along. And we haven't seen everything yet that happens in that car trip. And we'll certainly dig into that more in a few moments. But Emma is already starting to seem pretty creepy standing off they're looking at Isaac and Rumpel at the grave. I didn't understand that moment. Like, what led to that? She decided to walk to the funeral that had two attendees, one of whom had been trapped in a book until a couple days ago. <laughs> but I think she's feeling guilty about killing Cruella now that she knows the truth. So. I guess. I don't understand the look on her face. It's the death stare, not to be confused <laughs> with her Care Bear stare that we might see later. She does have a good death stare. It's true. When Emma then announced her plans at Granny's Diner, it seemed like that Regina was happy that Maleficent is turning against Rumpel and like just overjoyed. It was like, almost. yeah, it was an old friend type reaction. It's like, that's the Maleficent I know. 
Yay, you're joining our side of the island, the fun side of the, the island. fun <laughs> side. Kind of, only to get my completely evil daughter back. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I liked seeing that Regina It was like a reunion with an old friend. The microfiche that Emma was looking at was actually Lily's baptism announcement. How did she get that? That was in the Storybrooke Library? Or it could have been something that Emma saved since they mm. were around each other for a little while at the same time. Mm. She could have, well, I guess it wasn't hard for her to find the address in this episode, but she could have looked for her sometime between this episode and Tallahassee. And the other thing to consider is that would be from the 80s. And in the 80s, there were still newspapers, and that was the primary way. I mean, there are still newspapers now. Maybe not by the time you're listening to this podcast, but (laughs) (laughs) newspapers were the primary form of getting and reporting news back then. Yeah, there was TV and radio too, but a lot of people still read the paper for the more in-depth stuff. And microfiche was a way of recording that and especially the older things scanning these things in kind of an older form of digitizing and it would be very common actually for libraries to have copies of newspapers from across the country Hmm. it could just be that emma found whatever was the closest largest newspaper and they had a copy of that in the storybook library and that's where she went and just started looking through okay this was about the date and time let me find something Seems like a very slow process to be at the end of her all-out run out of the diner. (laughs) When Regina then comes in and starts presenting us with some interesting information about fate and at the same time responsibilities. Our actions are our own, but fate pushes us. Does it? Well, I know there are many different ideas about what fate is and how it influences us. But I think this is an important line to this story and to the overall story arc to realize that our actions are still our own. We don't have to follow fate. Look at like the Disney movie Brave, where the main point of Brave is that you can change your fate. And yes, there are paths that I think we are on and tracks that we are on that if we continue in a certain way that we are now then just logically we'll end up in a certain path or a certain track. But in a moment, we could change that. And Regina's saying this here, I think gives us that little clue of one of the, the, the morals of the story that will come out from this is that, yes, there's fate, but you still have control. Your actions can change your fate. You don't have to be dark. You don't have to be a certain way. You can choose to be different. Yeah. And that very much sets up the discussion between Emma and Regina at the end when Emma's pointing the gun at Lily. So fate pushed her into that position and she's choosing the action that she's going to take. And as Jacqueline points out, Emma has really had a lot of experience with fate because she met, fell in love with, and had a son with the Dark One's son. The same dark one who made her the savior and put her parents Snow and Charming together. This episode reminded me a lot. I actually tweeted, I never, I didn't have time, but I tweeted, oh, I need to go back and watch Manhattan because there was a lot of discussion about fate in Manhattan when Emma and and, uh, 
Neil met for the first time and she was saying basically like, you, you set this all up. This was like, you played me, you knew the whole time and all of that stuff. And Emma basically felt like she had been robbed of having like her own choices made. And uh, this this episode kind of mirrors that. Basically, Emma's finding out her entire life has been just completely orchestrated by, you know, this author or this book or this story. And that, like that includes the homes that she ended up with and the homes that she left and being with Ingrid and meeting Lily and falling in love with August or sorry, Neil, <laughs> falling in love with Neil, having to go to jail, giving up Henry, like everything and uh, it's nice that her and Regina bonded about that because, as Regina pointed out, yeah, I adopted the Savior's son. <laughs> but it's, I don't know, it's a very tricky line that they're drawing between fate and choice. And I am very interested to see where they take it. Yeah, I remember even Rumpel saying to Regina that it must have been fate because Regina accused him of intentionally bringing the Savior's son. And he chalked it up to fate. I love Emma's line, it's not really a bet when the game is rigged. And I bet yeah. you she feels that way again. So Emma and Regina are going on a road trip. And Emma's still acting like a petulant child to her parents. At least she's treating Hook well. <laughs> yes. Their, uh, Hook and Emma's discussion was really good between about darkness. Um, I actually kind of got into like a Facebook debate earlier today about um, Neil dying. Uh, just because somebody posted that they're not happy with once right now. And I was saying, oh, like if you were watching this season, you would really understand why they put Emma with Hook because now they can have these discussions about turning dark and making that choice and darkness looming over you. But I liked what um, Hook said that he didn't have anything to live for. And Emma definitely does have something to live for. And that was kind of the breaking point with her when she was about to, you know, make that choice of darkness was Regina pointing out that, you know, she, like Henry is relying on her and her parents. So, And it's crazy that the dark one is the one expecting her to go to the dark side. And he has nothing to live for anymore. He's let go of Belle. He no longer has Neil. He has nothing left except maybe this hope of stopping the darkness from consuming him. And I know hope is a big theme to Once Upon a Time. That is the core theme, really, of Once Upon a Time. And so hope is going to fit in somewhere with all of this. Uh, at the same time, I mean, watching it from the real world, sure, that's a useful, I mean, that can be a useful prop, but living for people is never going to keep you on the right path. People go, come and go. People disappoint. Uh, I would yeah. say you should probably be thinking about living for a higher power. And when they went to Lowell, Massachusetts, we learned that at one point Lily was in a car crash, which of course was a fake car crash or something about it was fake staged. Jacqueline brought up a great point that maybe the apprentice set that up for Lily so that she could start out this new life and go into hiding until the right time. Maybe someone discovered her fan wall and she was about to be committed. So he had to jump in and stop that from happening. Back in Storybrooke with Will and Belle, I, I'm kind of surprised that Will, a man who has once had his heart removed, 
can't recognize when he's dating a woman without her heart. Well, there are no rules to what that means or what it looks like anyway, so I guess it's fine. Maybe Will doesn't have his heart right now. (laughs) Maybe it's in his traveling pouch. (laughs) I mean, sometimes they can love, sometimes they can't love, sometimes they can emote, sometimes they can't, sometimes they're puppets, sometimes they're not. I don't know. Just leave the hearts where they belong. Let's... uh... Or make some rules. I don't we're, know. We're it's gonna too start, late to make rules. We're going to start picketing. Leave the hearts alone. <laughs> Leave the hearts alone. <laughs> I don't understand why Regina wouldn't bring Belle's heart with her if it's that important. I was thinking perhaps Belle's heart wasn't really there and that Maleficent was guarding some arbitrary hmm. other person's heart. That's what I'm I was actually, hoping for. I'm glad she didn't take Belle's heart with her because... We've never seen a heart, a working heart like that, taken out of Storybrooke. True. So it's possible that if it leaves Storybrooke, Belle would just fall over dead. Maybe, but there was nothing in original Storybrooke. The magic wasn't there, and the hearts still functioned. So they seem to function like magical objects. And speaking of magical objects, the wolf in the road that caused Emma to swerve Very similar back to season one and looks kind of similar. This is not Graham's wolf. That wolf had the two color eye thing going on. This wolf had just one color for both eyes. But uh, that wolf was put there somehow. Theories are that maybe it was Lily. But why would Lily be out in the road like that? Why would Lily even have this this, uh, ability to become a wolf? But Jessica Frey suggested something else. She said... The one thing that has really racked my brain is the wolf making a return. Could the wolf be the sorcerer in a physical form? We saw him in season one, the wolf that is, and then that means that's how the sorcerer keeps Emma and Emma and Lily on their respective paths. I know that might be a crackpot theory. I don't know. Sorcerer, the apprentice. I don't think it's a crackpot theory. I do think that if that's the case, then it's not fate. Hmm. because it's being orchestrated. But I was saying one is a fluke, two is a coincidence, and three is a pattern. And we have now seen three wolves that have, even if they're different wolves, they've kind of orchestrated different major things happening in Emma's life. One being her not leaving Storybrooke, one being uh, the wolf that uh, like affected Graham and kind of led him to the truth, and that majorly affected Emma then believing and then now this wolf that's that's three wolves used in very similar purposes that that doesn't seem like fate that seems like intentional (laughs) right or steering fate in some way right when they make it to the coffee mug diner right next to the Pawtucket mini mark and deli lily is going by star la really nice one there when they make it to the coffee mug diner, right next to the Pawtucket Mini Mart in Delhi, Lily's going by Starla. Nice one there. And I think they really nailed the casting for older Lily. Mm-hmm. She looks a lot like younger Lily. Like at some points with the camera angles or the lighting and such, it does really just look like younger Lily, just with a couple more wrinkles. Yeah, she really does. And she even speaks like her. Yeah, and mannerisms. 
hand gestures and everything. I know a lot of that is, you know, directors helping them out, but the the actors here and actresses are doing a great job of carrying over those personalities. I was thinking that if Lily was really trying to hide and she has such a distinctive birthmark, she would maybe make more of an effort to hide it. Like if she made this whole car accident happen so she could disappear. <laughs> Seems a little funny that she's just walking around with that very distinguishing birthmark out in the open. Unless she's fishing for Emma and she's letting the birthmark show because she knows Emma will recognize this and someday Emma will probably find this because the apprentice might have told her, you and Emma are entwined. Your fates are entwined. So you will meet someday. And so maybe she's thinking, well, I want Emma to see this. I'm letting this secret club sign be visible. Maybe. Jacqueline has a very important PSA here. (laughs) Children of the world, pay attention. If a stranger comes up to you and offers you food, if you'll come with them, do not go. You need to yell, scream, shout, kick, bite, scratch, whatever. (laughs) Get to a well-lit area with adults and tell them that someone is after you. The more you know. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, what, what was the plan for that child anyway? Uh, okay, honey, the bus is going to drop you off at the gas station and I'll come get you in an hour. Just go sit in the gas station. Starla will take care of you. My like, guess. Uh, why was there not a parent there? It's small <sighs> town. Blech. Henry used to walk all the time from the bus. And my guess is the trailer park where maybe this girl lives too is very close. These are all things people say after something bad happens. I just say there should have been a parent there and there probably would have been. I mean, if Ruby in in the pilot of once, if Ruby had shown up at Henry's bus stop and said, hey, remember me from the diner. You're supposed to come with me for a walk around the block. Henry totally would have done it because it's small town. Everybody knows everybody and free hamburgers for a week. I'd go on a walk around the block for free hamburgers. (laughs) But I'm an adult. I can do that. (laughs) When the Charmings visited Maleficent, I thought that Maleficent had some good points here. That it wasn't just herself to whom the Charmings needed to apologize and make things right, but also her daughter. But it went even deeper than that, though. A matter of forgiveness and it really seems like Maleficent isn't even willing to forgive the Charmings. Yeah. She has no motivation to. Mm-hmm. Back at Starla's trailer, she had this board with all of the stuff on it. And I took different screenshots of the different things. We'll have those in the show notes for this episode, number 196 at oncepodcast.com slash 196. Some of the things on the board were Prince Charming, Evil Queen, Snow White, Emma, Cruella DeVille, Ursula, Maleficent. Boy spotted in the United States, but where? Toy becomes real boy. It's on the tabloid uh, page there. And also a map of possible storybook locations. A note that said the author. And interestingly, a private investigator license. Huh. It was next to Emma's photo, but it didn't have a name on it. It made me think that maybe Starla became a private investigator. That would be very good um, contrast to Emma's bail bonds person-ness. 
Or you have to have one to be a bail bonds person and it was Emma's or Maybe. one that she had. Yeah, that could be true. Or someone she hired to try and track Emma down. <laughs> Why she would have its license, I don't know. How many Wentzers do you guys think have boards like this up? <laughs> oh, oh I would have one in this house if we weren't trying to sell our house. <laughs> do you think we're on any of them? We might be. Ugh. Wow. There's a note that has like podcasters linked to, well, like everything. <laughs> Dachshund. <laughs> and everything is somehow linked back to our sponsors. And speaking of our sponsors, I want to tell you about lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash once. You want to learn how to design websites. You want to learn how to shoot videos. You want to learn how to take better photos. It's more than just turn that cell phone. So it's a widescreen photo for your videos or photos, but much more than that, like aperture, exposure, shutter speed, ISO, all of this stuff. If I'm saying gobbledygook to you, then you should check out lynda.com. But it's so much more than that. You can learn business principles and other technical skills. Our podcast producer, John, subscribes to lynda.com and he continues to tell me how great the tutorials are. I'm learning stuff from our podcast producer, learning stuff from lynda.com. So check it out, lynda.com slash once. You'll get a 10-day free trial, and that 10-day free trial is an unlimited trial. So you can check out all 100,000 videos that they have. Stay up all 10 days. Don't sleep at all. Check it out. And I think you'll discover there is some great stuff there. These aren't just cheap YouTube tutorials. These are very well-produced very well presented tutorials teaching you how to use whatever it is that you want to learn that's available through lynda.com. These are experts in their field, experts at teaching, experts at these different crafts. So check it out, lynda.com slash once. Sign up there and it supports the podcast. So check it out. It's a free 10-day trial. That's at lynda.com slash once. Who is Sylvia? <laughs> um is this a trick question no that was the license plate on the car that emma oh. stole which i don't know really if that was lily's car it seemed kind of a I bit sure souped up was. to be her car <laughs> yeah i think i mean if i had the choice if i were if i were lily and i needed to escape and it's take this sports car that i have or steal emma's beetle I think I use the one that can actually get away and has keys. Probably. So I think it was a neighbor's car. I think that was the line, you guys. I think Emma started down the road to darkness in a stolen car. Ooh, literally. <laughs> but she's stolen a car before. Technically, she always drives a stolen car. Yes. And Everywhere. then Lily stole a stolen, stolen car. That's true. Every, I think that car belonged to the sorcerer. Every car is related. That's what we're learning from what's a pot of time. I have a public service announcement. If you bring an irreplaceable item with you from your magical town, maybe bring it with you. Don't leave it in the car. But who knows what would have happened in the house? But Virginia, yeah, I guess she doesn't have magic. But like, it wasn't even locked. <laughs> Oh, good point. Like, carry it on your person. You know, small town, who locks their cars, right? Yeah. Same people who let their kids go wandering with <laughs> diner strangers. <laughs> Indeed. Mm. Diner strangers, band name. 
I feel like this is kind of a turning point for Emma because she's been so angry and like kind of hateful towards her parents. And then now suddenly she's flipped and she feels protective of them again because she said that girl destroyed my life with one family. I'm not going to let her do it again as if she's, you know, coming from a perfect family right now and Lily could somehow destroy that even though she's not really talking to her parents. So I think that showed where Emma's heart really is about the situation with her parents. Which is good. And actually the whole car chase, the conversation I'm realizing even now, as I think about it, that it actually, it felt like a breath of fresh air, even if Emma's wrong, Regina's getting all worried and in, in true recent once upon a time fashion, she's like, you're starting to seem like a villain is basically what she was getting at. And I was just like, this is the real world. There aren't heroes or villains, only real people with real problems. I kind of (laughs) did a little cheer inside. This is, I mean, if you didn't have this whole motif of, are you a hero or are you a villain? And your little heart can actually turn physically black and all these things. A lot of what Emma's doing is making kind of a lot of sense. And she's going to be okay as long as she has someone to help her not do something crazy like, you know, kill someone. Yeah. Which is exactly what happened. Almost. She sound, well, yeah. yeah did I mean, once. she was prevented by a friend telling her, don't do this. But for legit reasons, not this scroll and this curse and this whatever. But hey, it's really, really hard to come back from this if you do do this. I've been there. Whose magic burst the headlights? We've seen, like we talked about in the initial reactions, we've seen Emma during an intense moment when she was giving birth to Henry cause the lights to flicker in the delivery room. These lights, the headlights on her bug burst when Lily punched her. So it makes it seem like, I wonder, does Lily have magic? And this is just sort of some of it escaping during this intense moment. Well, I am guessing the human born from a dragon egg probably <laughs> has some magic. <laughs> yeah, I more read that as as just fate colliding and then those were the consequences. Yeah. But I agree. It could be one of those things where like if they make any physical contact, light bulbs explode. Well, it didn't happen when Emma shoved Lily. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know that it will be further explained. It might just be a thing that happens occasionally when Emma's involved, but it may it may have more profound meaning. I mean, there have been little things like that here and there, like when Emma put the sheriff's badge on her belt mm-hmm. for the first time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even when she stepped foot in Storybrooke, the headlight shot or mm-hmm. the street lamp. True. It could be an indication of that step of Emma going toward the dark side. Or just fate. Because <laughs> I, 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 the other incidents have had nothing to do with this supposed darkness. They've just been prophecy being fulfilled, things that are supposed to happen. Speaking of prophecy, while Lily was on her knees, she said this. And if you let me go... I will destroy everything. That's what I do. So come on, be the hero. And end this right here, before it even starts. Before it starts. Remember the original... Yes, I'm going back to season one, episode one. The original prophecy 
the final battle will begin. Yes. What if that's our season five is the final battle. And that final battle is between Emma, who's supposed to be the ultimate trueness and ultimate true love magic and ultimate light magic, all of that against Lily, the opposite of Emma. And that plays out across the whole season. And that's our final battle. See, the only reason I'm going to give any credence to this is that by now, having been hearing feedback from the fans, probably in the writer's room for a good year or two, in their list of ideas and things they might want to develop, there's probably been this annoying little thing they might call like a parking lot or a someday maybe list. And on it probably has been, (laughs) quote, final battle sigh like because everybody's all on about what's the final battle what's the final battle and they probably don't care or didn't care but finally maybe after all these years of us talking about it have said hmm we could work that in and then tie it up like everybody sees as a loose end so let's do it (laughs) so it may not have been more than just a line for rumple to use in reference to what happened in storybook storybook in season one But now, I suppose, it could take on greater meaning if they want it to. I like it, too, because I like the idea of a final battle, like this big (laughs) Mm -hmm. climax of good versus evil and good wins, and then happy endings are brought in all of this. And it should be more than just people poking each other in the eyes in the streets. (laughs) (laughs) I like, too, the line, like, if, if we do go into, like, a final smackdown kind of situation, whether it's a whole season or just the ending of this season... I think this scene will be paramount in the ending of it just because of what happened, because of the choice that Emma made. So mm. I love I love Regina's line, if you pull that trigger, it will be you who ruins your life this time. And that kind of goes back to, I've said it probably numerous times this season, like why did two people who have identical things happen to them, one turns dark and one you know, one just continues on as as a good person or whatever. And it kind of comes down to a choice like this, where like Emma and Lily have both kind of had not great lives and not good circumstances. But this was the time where Emma really had to make a choice about the type of person that she is. And this is when she made the choice, like, I am not a bad person in this moment anyway. And I am not going to like cold-bloodedly kill this this helpless person standing in front of me, even if she might do something in the future. So I think that Lily remembering that Emma had the freedom to make this choice could be kind of crucial. And she could not have made this right choice without Regina. That's what's really cool here. (laughs) And Jessica Olson pointed this out. She loved this. She said, loved the Regina Emma road trip. We got a lot of Regina snark, but also a lot of concern for Emma. Also, it's a good thing Regina was with Emma since she apparently did need a babysitter. I was actually a little worried about Lily for a bit. Regina looked like she was about to be in tears pleading with Emma, which I really liked just because it shows how much Regina cares and has changed. I'm also glad that Regina actually said that killing Cruella was an accident and that she Mm -hmm. hadn't crossed that line, the line to the darkness, yet. Thank you, Jessica, for the feedback. Yeah, Regina's a pretty great road trip companion. If I had a flat and my road trip companion said to me, I'll go get a tire, you go get coffee, 
That's just wonderful. I, yes. <laughs> She's a wonderful person now. One of the things that really, rewatching this scene, it feels more and more tense, especially when they use a, a certain cliche. I mean, yeah, I know the ending, but the cliche that they used was Emma's got the gun pointed uh-huh. at Lily, and there's some like final statement made. And then the camera switches to the cliche <laughs> silhouette with the people being with someone being held at gunpoint in a kind of distance. And that's the the only logical mm-hmm. next thing is to hear a gunshot yes. and see a body fall over. That's yes. what always happens when you cut to that kind of camera angle. Uh-huh. <laughs> they did it on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that. It's one of those surprise things. And then they switch back and then they switch to the wide angle again, like See, it's just a normal thing. What are you talking about? We weren't trying to fool you. Psych. It, it, it was a beautiful shot, too. Like, it was, it was a beautiful artistic shot of the sky and Vancouver's grayness and <laughs> <laughs> all the clouds. Don't you mean... Maine? No. Wait, Massachusetts? Where are we? <laughs> right. All of a sudden, I couldn't figure out what state they were supposed to be in. Massachusetts. Because <laughs> it just looked a lot like the border of Storybrook Or somewhere around there. <laughs> See, if this was Massachusetts, yep. there would be 600 centimeters of snow in their shot. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now all the Americans are trying to figure out centimeters, 600 centimeters. It's that a lot of snow. 20 That's feet, basically. Okay. <laughs> so it seems like they are actually starting to connect a little bit again while they're sitting on the pipes and talking. <laughs> That's what pipes are for. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I was it was sort of touching to have Emma say I'm not pushing you away this time. And I, all I could think was since I didn't blow you away, <laughs> I'm not going to push you away either. I don't know. It scares me. I thought something was going to happen when Emma offered her hands, like when their hands touched. I mm. thought something was going to occur, but <gasps> nope. Emma was wearing gloves. Mm-hmm. So maybe oh. it is like a skin to skin thing, like because Lily hit Emma's face with her bare fist and that's when there were sparks. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so Lily, we've already seen her as master liar and manipulator. And yeah, Emma can tell, sort of, but she clearly can't always tell. So, I mean, isn't Lily kind of volatile at this point? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, taking her back to Storybrooke, Mm -hmm. whether she does it fast or play some kind of a long game, isn't she still going to try and kill the Charmings? She might. There might even be something that happens as soon as they cross that town line. Even if she doesn't want to right now, I think she's going to end up making some of those bad choices. I'm not sure that she stopped wanting to. Well, I'm, yeah. Or maybe she thinks she won't. Maybe she doesn't. I don't, I don't know what she thinks. I don't know what any of them are thinking right now. Now they've got, I guess... Baby I, things to worry about? Like, well, no. I, I think that Lily believes that she does not have a choice. Yeah. That, that is the attitude that she has seemed to develop. Like she said, I'm going to do it anyway, so you might as well stop me now. But it's going to be interesting because like Maleficent kind of has an alliance a little bit with Emma, who won't want anything to happen to her parents. 
And Regina's kind of on Emma's side, but also friends with Maleficent. It might be an interesting homecoming. Hmm. Jumping back into Storybrooke with Maleficent, the person who should not even guard a water fountain. She was a lousy guard for Maleficent. (laughs) She was a lousy babysitter in both worlds. And she's a lousy guard of Belle's heart in Regina's uh, mayor's office there. Rumpel said something interesting, though. He said, Lily keeps Emma on her dark path. I think we kind of see that, yes, that because of Lily, Emma is on this dark path. And I wonder then, is the end of this going to be that one of them has to die? Is that what's going to prevent Emma from going down the dark path? Or does one of them have to leave? It reminds me of, here's another reference for you, the movie Hancock with Will Smith. There's a spot in it where two characters discover that in order to continue surviving, they have to be apart. The more time they spend together, the worse things get. Maybe that's the same thing for Emma, is that the more time she's around Lily, the worse Emma gets. And that kind of goes back to the darkness in them being drawn out by each other because it really belongs to the other person. So I wonder if they will maybe just reverse that somehow. So do you think Rumpel somehow has access to some pre-written part of the story that we don't know about? Because he's suddenly speaking to people like he used to, as though he has some sort of foresight. So it's either something we don't know or it's just annoying. (laughs) And because of the whole Zelina thing, I'm more willing to lean towards something we don't know rather than just annoying. Maybe. When Belle gets her heart back, Rumpel makes this really interesting speech to her. I spent every day of our marriage deceiving you when I should have been trying to make you happy. Now it's too late. My heart is nearly black. And if I continue hurting you, then there's no hope for me. I'm going to return this to you, Belle. But he's the one who's going to protect it. Because I've proven unworthy. The end of Rumbell? I hope so. <laughs> Whoa, you just made a lot of enemies. <laughs> I already have, I'm very clear about my stance on this. I send hate to my Twitter. <laughs> it's like an abusive relationship and she keeps going back. Of course I want her to stay out of it. Yeah, now that I understand. What's nice, and I think this is why people hold on to the relationship, is that it had such a beautiful beginning and has beautiful potential But where it is now is pretty ugly. Mm -hmm. Well, and where it is now is if you were like in all seriousness to look at like the the wheel of violence in an actual abusive relationship, they're just in a phase right now where he feels guilty about how he's treated her. And so he's being nice about it. But as soon as she goes back to him, it's just going to continue. That's that's just... Mm. Totally textbook. Hmm. Jacqueline raised the great question, was Rumpel manipulating Belle in the scene, preying on her love for him and her enjoyment of grand gestures? 
Yes. Well, I don't, if he was, I don't think he knows it. Um, I guess the thing nagging me now, it's speaking of the way it all began. We once saw true love's kiss start to take the whole dark one thing away entirely. And it was interrupted when he didn't want that. Is that still the only thing stopping it from happening now? Maybe. He doesn't have the skin, but it seems <laughs> like they could have ended that whole thing a long time ago. Well, and part of it comes back to what is the Dark One? What is creating the Dark One? Is it a curse? Is he cursed with this Dark Oneness? If so, remember, true love's kiss can break any spell, any curse. Well, then I'd say it has to be a curse. And it did start breaking his curse or his spell or whatever magic. And so even at this point, could maybe Bell's true love kiss stop his heart from going dark and clean it? Hmm. That'd be some kiss. Keb in the forums said, and there's this really big forum. A lot of people are talking about this as, is this the end of Rumbell? And we'll have a link to the forums on this. But Keb said, this is not the end. This time isn't the first and may not be the last farewell. They belong together. And even when one of them declares it has to end, they find a way to come back together. He's taken one of the first steps towards some kind of redemption. He confessed his wrongdoing to Bell and acknowledged that it was wrong. He fixed the immediate harm that he could by restoring her heart. I agree with that to some extent, but also I'd say this has happened before. Yeah, I mean, the root is his love of his power and that he places it above everyone else until he's ready to give up the power. I don't see any reason to believe that he's actually going to remain different. Yeah. Yep. And Slurpees points out, sorry, but I think this goodbye speech by Rumpel to Bell was the end. Rumpel gave his blessing for Will to be with Bell. As Rumpel said to Bell, I'm returning your heart, but he, Will, is going to protect it. While I think Bell will always have a place in her heart for Rumpel, I think she knows deep down in her core that Will treats her far better than Rumpel did. After all, he's a better kisser. <laughs> According to Regina. Uh, yeah, how would she know? As sad as I am to say it, I think Anastasia from Once Upon a Time in Wonderland will be dead too. And I say this as a huge fan of Scarlet Queen, I do not take this lightly. However, I will acknowledge that if Belle and Will had to start over with someone, they couldn't have picked a better partner than they did. I think Will is a sweet and loyal catch, just watch Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and that Belle is a deserving, kind-hearted character. Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, sidebar... For whatever reason, Will's character, to me, doesn't click in this show the way that it did. I mean, he was the best character in Wonderland. In Once Upon a Time, just the, it, he hasn't really been integrated properly. The things that people found charming, I don't think come across that way in this show. Mm -hmm. And they've left people who actually were perhaps arguably the most loyal of fans who watched Wonderland with this gigantic red question mark over his entire character and that entire story it's like making us sort of move on without even giving us an explanation and maybe they'll get to that but i i will not yeah. say i like it i think that it's not a great choice for his character and they've dropped 
hints, right? Like they've, it's not as if they've completely forgotten his ties to Wonderland. And that's kind of what's even more annoying. So there was like when he was looking at the picture of the Red Queen and looking for his traveling pouch for whatever reason, he doesn't know where it is. That could be an explanation of why he's there, why he's trapped in Storybrooke when he shouldn't be. But yeah, it's that is so annoying. <laughs> yeah. And I was so excited when I found out that he got added to this show because, mm-hmm. again, like he was such a good character on Once Wonderland. And if they did it properly, like I guess it would be okay if they moved on from that story. But they, they, it's almost like season two when they just <laughs> decided halfway through, oh, we're going to just do something else. Mm-hmm. And think about what this means possibly for Rumpel's character. Corbin said, I think Rumpel is going to die. In some way, the reason for this is that the way the story is going right now doesn't allow for just a simple, take this magical potion, then you're better. The Rumpel of the first half of season three, and even the second half of season three, when he didn't want to commit those evil acts Zelina forced him to do, is not the same Rumpel in season four. He's ruthless, has lost all care for everyone, and has been willing to let everyone die in order to get what he wants. That's what I believe is going to cause the end of Rumbell. Rumpel is going to accept his fate, probably say a final kiss, hug, we will always have our chipped cup, goodbye, then either permanently die or become the man he was before the Dark One curse. Plus, the writers may think it's poetic that both father and son, quote, died, unquote, in one season than actually died in the next. And we have a poll going right now in our forums at oncepodcast.com slash forums. I'll have the link, though, in the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 196. The poll is, will Rumpel die by the end of this season? The answers are, yes, he will die and stay dead, or yes, he will die but be revived yet again, and no, he will not die at all. Here's how it's broken out. 44% say, yes, he will die and stay dead. 15% say, yes, he will die, but be revived yet again. And 41% say, no, he will not die at all. Feel free to add your own opinions in the forums, and we'll have that link in the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 196. So quick poll here. Jeremy, what do you think? Is he Uh, going to die? No. Aaron? I... Well, what I want and what I think, I guess, are two different things. So I would say probably no. <laughs> I think he is. <gasps> okay. And be revived? Uh, I, I don't think so. Because at one point, dead needs to actually stay dead. Yeah. I, I like his character. I don't want to see his character go. But I think, uh, like you, Aaron, you have a conflict of what you want to see happen and what you think will happen. I want to see his character survive, but I think that Rumpel will die. One of the reasons that Rumpel might die is that he might realize he won't get to make it to our Once Upon a Time season four finale party, <laughs> but you can. Go to oncepodcast.com slash party. We have the location reserved. It is the Radisson. It's in actually Covington. It's right across the river from Cincinnati, Ohio. It's called the Cincinnati Riverfront Radisson. We'll be near the top floor of the Radisson. We've got a great view. There's a clock tower visible from the room. What? Really nice little space. Yeah. 
yeah, we're going to have some fun with this. Selfies <laughs> at 8.15, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be hard since the show will be on. <laughs> These commercial break. We'll just Photoshop the clock. Or maybe we'll talk to someone and say, hey, can you just move the hands <laughs> on that clock for a few minutes for us? <laughs> yes. Or we could wake up the following morning and do something out at the clock at 8.15 in the morning. We could wake up the next morning and find that the clock doesn't move from 8.15. And then we'll be scared. And it's been that way for as long as anyone can remember. But the party will actually start with a dinner beforehand in the late afternoon, early evening on Sunday, May 10th. Then we'll watch Once Upon a Time together. It starts at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. We'll watch that. We'll also have it that you can participate in the live chat room because of the Wi-Fi in the room. And then after we finish watching the show, we right there... We'll record our initial reactions, and we invite you to be a part of it if you can make it to the live finale party that will have an extra microphone where you'll be welcome to come up and share your thoughts on the finale and whatever you think things might be going. So we'd love to see you there in Cincinnati. We've already got several people registered and coming for it. We'd love for you to be a part of it too. And also join us for breakfast the following morning if you can to have just one final hurrah, and then we go our separate ways and wait until season five comes but go to oncepodcast.com slash party to register for that it's free to come you will be buying your own meals and such while we're there but i think we'll still have a lot of fun even if you can't make it to the meals come for the party it'll be a lot of fun that's at oncepodcast.com slash party now the final part of this episode when they found robin here's something that i realized that maybe is proof of this whole thing of this has been planned all along. Mm. I went back and rewatched portions of the last three episodes of season three with the time travel thing with Zelina's quote death and all of that. Here are some of the notable events that happened from that. Zelina enacted this curse that opened this time portal or was opening it. But then she was stopped. Regina took the pendant from Zelina. Remember, that pendant is what the white witch in Oz said, this is your life. Your Mm -hmm. life is in this, basically. Regina took that pendant. When she took it, Zelina kind of writhed on the floor around a little bit. And this green, some green wisps came and went then into the pendant. Hmm. Regina keeps that pendant. Mm -hmm. Where do you think she puts it? In her vault. Exactly. In her vault. Mm -hmm. We see then Zelina's in jail. That all happens. Rumpel, quote, kills, unquote, her. That all happens. And her porcelain ashes just dissolve into the air after Rumpel walks away. I call them fragments, yes. They don't turn into the green smoke. Like, I thought that's what happened. But when I looked back, I realized, no, that's not what happened. What happened, the green smoke came from... Regina's vault mm-hmm. in the chest of hearts from Cora, where Cora used to collect hearts. One of the drawers lit up and the green smoke came out of it. Then that green smoke went and activated the time portal, which then stayed open. So that, like we theorized back then about, well, wait a minute, isn't that Zelina's life force? Doesn't that seem like Zelina is still alive? Yes, it has been planned since then. All right, we're the only thing really to further confirm this in my mind is if the writers actually just tell us oh yeah it's been planned ever since then (laughs) but i really think that everything they showed us fits perfectly and is total evidence 
that this has always been planned. And also back in those episodes when there was the time travel involved, they hook and Emma left Marion for quite some time alone by herself after they'd knocked her unconscious. Mm-hmm. When uh, they tried to rescue David and Snow on the troll bridge. So they were gone for a while. That was plenty of time for Zelina to show up and take over. The necklaces are different. Yes, Marion was wearing a necklace. And Zelina, though, had her little spell necklace hidden. So it's totally possible that she was wearing it all throughout season four when we saw Marion and just never saw that necklace. But I'm saying good job, writers. You did it. You pulled this one really well, and you had that plan all the way from back then. Great. I love that. So, did um, you guys might have talked about this in one of the podcasts that I missed, but did um, Marion fake the whole needing to get out of Storybrooke? That's the other thing. I think maybe she did because realizing that was actually Zelina, maybe she realized, oh, this would be a great way to force Robin to leave and thus hurting Regina even more. So did she do it to herself, you think? I think she faked it. The the first time was probably genuine because that was from the Snow Queen. The second time was probably just her redoing it. Because realize, when did she collapse and this this repeat actually start? It was when she was with Roland at the park while Robin and Regina were sitting on the bench talking about which direction are we going to go with our relationship. Mm, I forgot that's how that went. A great moment for Zelina to decide, okay, this isn't working too well. I'm going to rip her happy ending from her. Mm -hmm. The only happy ending will be mine. (laughs) And then she collapses like that with Regina looking over her. Mm. But also with her manipulation, I wonder if this whole pregnant thing is also her trying to manipulate the situation, working hard to try and actually get pregnant, not just faking a pregnancy, but actually getting pregnant. (laughs) And side benefit from this, she'll have her own baby so she can make her time traveling spell whenever she wants. It's like having your own chickens. You can have fresh eggs for breakfast whenever you want. I mean, it's not going to stay a baby. (laughs) I assume. Unless she has some of Maleficent's egg. <laughs> yes. What, what if Lily hadn't aged either? That was okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I like Zelina's character. The actress does a great job. It's great conflict for Regina. It's going to be good um, uh, conflict as uh, good or evil conflict. Just like Emma said, like, oh, what are you planning to do with with Zelina? Have some tea? Like... It's going to challenge Regina's new ways, but I just, I'm not, I'm not overly thrilled with this storyline and I hope that it is wrapped up by the end of this season. I think this one will be. I still think Regina should just poof and she's like, now it's my baby. (laughs) Now I'm pregnant. Bye. (laughs) That shouldn't be possible, but it probably is. I don't know. As Jacqueline said, once upon a soap opera. (laughs) Yes. So our forums are on fire about this in all kinds of perspectives. 
for one is Zelina lying. Matthew Paul said, I have a feeling Zelina lied about being pregnant because she needed leverage in the event Regina were to track them down. And since she's in the land without magic outside of Storybrooke, she didn't have her spellcasting tactics, except for the six-leaf clover, at her disposal. Wenceaholic said, I think it's true. Why? Because this would explain why she revealed herself to be who she really is. Without the pregnancy, she would have nothing to protect herself and would simply carry on denying that she is Zelina. I don't think she can meet up with Rumpel right now or has the intention to. The Snow Queen's spell still appears to be around Storybrooke, so Zelina will likely freeze to death if she enters, unless that whole thing was fake. That's my side note. Unless, of course, the spell is gone or the freezing spell only affects fake Marion. The six-week time jump was probably for Zelina's pregnancy. We saw them wandering around New York six weeks ago. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And also a lot of passionate conversation about the morality of all of this. Rumpel's girl, or Jacqueline in the forums, said, is there any good way to solve this storyline that isn't horrible? Let's say Zelina is really pregnant. What are the options? Option one, Robin Hood stays with Zelina because, quote, baby, unquote. His code and honor dictates that he has to stand by the woman who basically raped him and is carrying his child that she fully intended to use as a means to get him to stay with her. Option B, if somehow the villains do win, but then the heroes manage to fix, quote, the thing, unquote, (laughs) the villains do, does that mean Zelina's baby goes poof because the Rons have been righted by the heroes? Option C, Robin Hood chooses Regina, but Zelina is allowed to live and have her baby with the understanding that Robin Hood and Regina will raise the child It's really a mess. And there's a lot of debate about that in the forums. Yeah. um, I mean, I guess they could send someone's potential for darkness into it. (laughs) (laughs) Lilies. There you go. And the author could make them do it so that it's not really anybody's fault but his. And then they could trap him in a book for it. Or Zelina will just take the baby out into the middle of the forest and let a tornado take the baby away. (laughs) Where it will promptly <laughs> save people from falling trees. <laughs> As they do. I have I have no opinion on this. <laughs> yeah, so maybe maybe it's fi- it's fake. That would be the quickest and easiest. I mean kind of annoying, but it would be kind of nice to just have it revealed in the uh second to last episode of the season that okay, that wasn't really a thing. Look at this from Robin's perspective, though, too. Slurpee said, I don't think Robin was so much choosing, quote, Marion, unquote, as he was choosing his unborn child. This is kind of like what we were talking about in the initial reactions. He thinks he's doing the right thing by choosing his child. I think if the situation were reversed and it were Regina having to choose between Henry and Robin Hood, I think we all know, or at least hope, that Regina would choose Henry. A parent's love is often said to be the greatest form of love, even greater than romantic love. And it, I think it makes sense for, for Robin f- from this perspective because, yeah, here's Zelina. Okay, wow, that's actually Zelina, not Marion. Ouch. Oh, snap. But then, okay, but Zelina has my child. I still think vomit would have preceded those words. <laughs> <laughs> 
Price of Magic said, the thing that bugged me about this scene was that Robin accuses Regina of lying in order to split him and Miriam up. Yeah. There is no reason for why Robin should think this, given Regina's actions in the beginning of the fourth season. I can totally see why Robin would be confused, puzzled, bewildered because of the seeming absurdity of it all. But to accuse Regina of lying as a means to break him and, quote, Marion, unquote, up seems out of character for him. It's like the effect of what Regina told him was less, quote, what do you mean what's going on? And more, oh, I get it. You're jealous. Yeah, right. (sighs) So they are in quite a pickle and they're still in new york remember that after this they're in the big pickle or the big apple (laughs) so that's how this episode ends so next episode i assume they'll still be in new york trying to decide how to deal with that and next episode is the last episode before the two-part finale this is true three hours left of this season of once yeah so there are going to be some big things happening I know there are lots of opinions and hopes and dreams and all of that about how the end of this episode will play out, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on this. So please comment on the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 196 or in the forums at oncepodcast.com slash forums. We'd love to see you at our finale party. So please go to oncepodcast.com slash party to register for the finale party in Cincinnati on May 10th. We'll have a lot of fun and really look forward to seeing you there. As always, though, you can send us your feedback about each episode that you watch on TV. If you email it, put the name of the episode in the subject line and send that to feedback at oncepodcast.com or call and leave a voicemail at 903-231-2221. You can also go to the website oncepodcast.com and all the contact information is there. And you can even send a voice message through the website at oncepodcast.com. Special thanks for a new review in iTunes this week. It came from Vampire Freak 55, also known as Rockneda, saying, You guys are awesome, and I finally get to share my thoughts and listen to people's opinions about the show we love. Everyone is very entertaining. I feel like I'm talking with you guys too. <laughs> Thank you very much for that kind review. If you haven't left a review for us in iTunes or Stitcher, please go to oncepodcast.com. And click on the iTunes or Stitcher button and write a review for us there. It really encourages us and it helps other people find the podcast too. That's all at oncepodcast.com. Please connect with us on Twitter at oncepodcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Roman Noodle. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. I'm Aaron, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron J. Cruz. This podcast would not be possible without your kind donations and our great team of volunteers behind this. Thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack writing our show notes, John Buchanan editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline providing the spoilers. You'll hear from them in a moment. Jacob helping with some of our show notes preparation, Jacqueline and Matthew Paul moderating the forums, Keb managing our timeline, Aliascape moderating the chat room, and my fellow podcast co-hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline co-hosting this podcast with me. And until next time, it's not fate. It's just a flat. And thanks for listening. (laughs) 
Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our sponsors for this episode of Once Podcast. If you'd like to be one of them, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash sponsor. Also check out lynda.com slash once. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash once to learn something new and awesome. Hey, Oncers, I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast, season four, episode 20, Mother. Emma returns to Storybrooke to reunite Lily with Maleficent while Regina and Robin struggle to cope with the implications of Zelina's pregnancy. When Gold's health takes a turn for the worst, Isaac looks to a new ally to help procure the magic ink he needs to rewrite history. In a fairy tale land flashback, Cora returns from Wonderland to beg Regina's forgiveness on the anniversary of Daniel's murder. Cora vows to help her daughter find true love, but Regina remains suspicious of her mother's intentions. This episode is written by Jane Edsonson and directed by Ron Underwood. So funness. Cora. Yep. Barbara Hershey's back as Cora. We've got Tony Perez as the valet or nobleman. Beverly Elliott is Granny, so we're going to see her again. We haven't seen her in a while. Yeah. It's been a while since we saw Granny. Yeah. We'll travel travel as the Sheriff of Nottingham. Raphael Alejandro as Roland. I love when he's in. Ingrid Torrance as... Some type of nurse. Oh, yeah, the severe nurse. She's the the nurse that sits b- down in the basement that Bell was kept in for thirty years. She's, oh, okay. She's the nurse ratchet callback from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Gotcha. Okay. So John Eamons as old man, Jeremy Patrick Schultzis as young man, Chad Cosgrove as carriage driver, Joe Dawes as. Outrider number one and Jim Finkbeiner as Outrider number two. I'm really sorry with these names. <laughs> you did your best. <laughs> so, yeah, it looks like it's an interesting episode. It's a lot different than I thought it was going to be. I did not expect Cora coming back from Wonderland. I thought this was going to be like pre Daniel's death. Yeah. Kind of different. Yeah. Because, like, when we speculated before about Mother, we had other thoughts in mind. Yeah. Doesn't mean they're not going to happen. It's just they don't talk about that. We did get a promo. Yay. We only got a USA promo this week. Again, Canada. What are you doing? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) So the promo is one of those very dramatic ones. There's a lot of intense music. We do see Emma introducing Mal and Lily once everyone gets back to Storybrooke. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's going to be a nice heartfelt reunion, except Lily wants to know how she and Maleficent are going to get revenge on Snow White and Prince Charming. Right. Because right. we need the drama. Right, absolutely. And speaking of drama, I think Lily's a dragon. Oh, you think that's her? I do, because her eyes in the promo get really orange and glowy at one point. And then when you see the dragon in the promo, you see a very brief shot of Maleficent below the dragon. You see her Ooh. coat. So I think I think Lily is a dragon and she's going to turn into a dragon. You watch this so much closer than I do. <laughs> okay, because yes, there is a dragon and Henry looks like he's getting attacked with the dragon in this. Yeah. And Snow and Charming are right over there trying to like go save him, but then a big ball of fire. Of course. And <laughs> it looks like Snow gets thrown against a rock or something because you hear Prince Charming yell, Mary Margaret. 
And then there is a little bit of the flashback in the promo. You do see a brief shot of Cora. You see Regina crushing someone's heart. Yes. She looks like she's taking them in. Well, when we talk about the pictures, I'll talk about what I think happened. Okay. But, yeah. So it looks like it's going to be an intense one. The author is writing something. He opens a book and writes something. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering where he got squid ink because Marin uh, Dungy isn't back as Ursula. So kind of wondering where he got some ink. It's gold shop. That's where everything is. Of course. <laughs> but we did get some photos. And for the most part, I didn't think the photos revealed a lot. Not a ton. I mean, we've got everyone coupled up and talking and like Emma and Hook, Regina and Robin. Maleficent in her 1940s gangster look. <laughs> um, <laughs> the one interesting one I did see was Snow, Charming, Henry, and Hook. They're all walking down the street, and they look like they're on a mission. Like, they're all, like, big, powerful walkers. Right, right. Kind of makes me wonder where Emma is. Yeah. Unless they're all here, she's back in town, and they're all running over to go see they're her. They're all running to go see Emma. Yeah, probably. Um, so we've got Robin and Roland with Regina. We've got Belle by herself. Zelina's all locked up. Yes, she's in the basement where Belle was kept. Yes. So, But she has and, a blanket, whereas Belle did not. <laughs> okay. I guess it got cold. <laughs> um, and then we see Cora. And then we see younger Regina. And we see both an evil and a not evil version of her. So yeah, I kind of think we kind of see her switch from good to bad in this episode. Yeah, I, I'm not sure when this episode is taking place in the past because Regina in the promo is crushing hearts. But that's something that she learned from Rumpelstiltskin after her marriage to King Leopold. But she was still kind of sort of good. And it was only after she realized that Daniel couldn't ever be brought back that she started crushing hearts. So I guess it's sometime after that. I, I, I hope they make it clear. The timeline is confusing enough right now. Yeah. And so like I said, like when we were talking about the crushing of the hearts, I think we kind of see her go from bad to evil. Like she learned how to take them before, but now she's just going up and ripping them out of people's hearts and crushing. Excellent. So that's what I think. And there are a few of Regina and her father, Henry yes. Sr., because mm-hmm. he is guest starring. So Yay. And we are lucky enough to have a wonderful script tease. It's very simple, and it's just Regina. And she goes, don't talk to me about this day, daddy. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so other than that episode, that's all we got for the episode. But we do have some fun little tidbits to talk about. Because we are coming up on the season finale. Woohoo. And if you are really anxious and want to hear a lot about the season finale, Hunter and I did talk a lot about it last week. So if you missed the spoilers from last week, go listen to them if you really want to know a ton of stuff about the finale. Yes. I found uh, an article from TV Guide, and they were talking with everyone. And Once Upon a Time made a promise to its fans to start off the season when Regina said she was going to force the author to write her a happy ending. We will make good on the happy ending, but what exactly is the author writing and who is he writing it for? This is all about the heroes and the villains and which side wins. Young Henry is front and center in this, flexing his adventure muscles when he is called upon to be a hero. Yay. 
Yay. So I think what we talked about last week is actually going to happen. Yes. And then the finale. We are flipping everything. It's a change so big it will ripple through every character. So, and you said you found one? Yeah, there was a small article with Josh Dallas with E! Online, and he's just talking about big things that are going to happen to Snow and Charming in the finale, and of course how that's going to affect the characters moving forward into season five. So, like we said last week, this has a lot to do with alternate universes and Emma. Yes, and we know that Emma will be going evil. Most likely, according to Adam Horowitz, it impacts everyone. It's the kind of thing where it puts Emma in a situation where she could be feeling isolated from those she loves and those who love her. Those people are fighting to break through the walls that are starting to come up again. These are new walls, even stronger or more difficult to surmount than the ones that she had up when the series first began. And we kind of got a glimpse at this. <laughs> because Mark Isham doesn't know how to not spoil things. <laughs> yes. So Mark we, Isham, who, by the way, is the composer for the show. Yes. He um he posted a little fun photo. Did you want to talk about that one? Yeah, this was on his Instagram. And this isn't the first time he's done this. The last time was the Robin and Regina kiss back in the end of season three. <laughs> but... um. <laughs> The photo was of Emma, and it's the black swan, is what I'm going to be calling her. Okay. And she's dressed in very dark colored clothing. It's a purple, I think, and it's kind of like, I don't know. When I first saw it, I thought it looked like a witch's outfit, but without the hat. See, I thought it looked like a ball gown. Mm. But it's like an evil-looking ball gown. Like, you can tell that this ball gown is supposed to invoke evilness. Right. And... Tim, I don't know if it was my computer screen, but it looked more blue than purple to me. Oh, interesting. It's that gold and white dress thing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Hashtag blue and black. Yes. Or blue and black, sorry. And then she has what has to be one of the scariest faces I've ever seen Jennifer Morrison make. She's making like a grr face. Right. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. I I understand they're trying to make her look evil. To me, she just looks crazy. She's got this (laughs) hair. This hair, it's like teased out to like five feet. And it's huge and more. She just looks like she got out of a psych ward. (laughs) She does. She looks like she's escaped from a psych ward. She doesn't look evil to me. She looks like she got out of a psych ward. (laughs) And it does look like she's standing on a ship. Okay. So it, I just saw a close-up of her, so I have no clue. When I kind of looked in the background, you can see that it's like planking, like wood planking, and there's some ropes. So most people think that it's probably the Jolly Roger. Oh, okay. Oh, funness. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's how they're going to end the episode. <laughs> With just <laughs> her really crazy face. Yes. <laughs> that's a great Fades season. black. Yeah. <laughs> It's a great final image. Yes. Yeah, next week's going to be our last spoiler session for a while. Yeah, until the summer. Hopefully we can get Daniel to let us do a spoiler episode for you guys and make it a big, long thing. Yeah, hopefully we will sometime after Comic-Con. Well, that's all we have for you this week. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Bit of Pixie Dust. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Oncers.